All right, let's open up our Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 35 tonight. There's a saying I like to live by, and I learned it when I was in the army, and it's called, stay in your lane. If everyone would stay in their lane and mind their business and do what they're supposed to do, I think our world would be a greater place to live in. I think helping others uh, is something that people like to do, especially people that they love. They want to help others out to make sure they get the needs they have and, and uh, any difficulties they want to walk through, through it with them. Uh, because we as humans, we're social people, we like to do that. But, but because we're social people, we often like to get into affairs of others that we shouldn't get into. Um, there's a fine line between being there for someone and putting your two cents in on every issue. So I got out a list of signs that you may be involved in other people's affairs you shouldn't. Number one, the only thing you ever talk about is other people. So if you're constantly talking about other people, you might be involved in affairs you shouldn't. Uh, your own affairs are not addressed. You're so worried about other people and what they're doing, you neglect your own responsibilities. You give advice without being asked. I don't like that. I'll, if I want your advice, I will ask you, and I will listen to your advice, but please don't give it all the time. Uh, number four, you overthink and obsess about situations that don't involve you. Number five, you get upset when people don't handle situations how you want them handled. Everyone has a different way of doing things. We need to allow people to do that. But if you constantly get up, upset because they're not doing it the way you do it, you might be involved in someone's affairs a little too much. And number six, you constantly keep tabs on people through social media. Mm, the gossip, the new gossip column, Facebook. You know, we've been studying through the life of Josiah, and he's been a really, really good king for the nation of Judah. Uh, once he found the book of the law, which we spoke about last week, he started making drastic changes, wanting to get the people to learn about the word and know what God says. Um, but we're going to see here, towards the end of this chapter, that he made a fatal mistake in getting involved in other people's affairs when he should not have. Uh, our study today is going to begin with Josiah uh, celebrating the Passover, calling the priests and the Levites back to their duties. I feel sorry, which we'll talk about in a minute, I feel sorry for these priests and Levites throughout the years. You've had a king that, that reinstitutes things and you've got another one that tears it down. It's like they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off, I think, sometimes. They just kind of feel for those guys, especially the ones that are really wanting to serve God. I mean, there had to be a sense of confusion and chaos going on with them. But he puts them back in their courses. Uh, they celebrate the Passover. You know, the Passover was uh, where they, they killed the animals to represent when, whenever Christ came, uh, God came over Egypt and passed over them with the Passover lamb and, and, and spared them from dying and then eventually gets them out of Egypt. So they're going to be celebrating these things. And it says that this celebration, this particular Passover, 
they had not seen one like this in the land of Judah. Now, we know other king has celebrated it, but for this one, for some reason, seems to be the most festive one that the nation of Judah had celebrated. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1 of chapter 35. It says, Now Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. So we know that Josiah was a young man when this all started taking place. We know that he started really following the Lord when he was about 16 years old. He started cleansing the land whenever he was about 20 years old, tearing down the idols and, and the uh, places of, false places of worship. We know when he was about 25, 26, he started build, rebuilding the temple and reestablishing this order. So Josiah has done a lot in his young life. And I said last week that we cannot despise what age we're at. God can use us at any age. I said from 2 to 102, he can use us. And we see Josiah being used by God right here and getting Judah back on track. And, and he started this Passover not long after he found the word, of, the word of God or the law in the rubble that was in the temple. So we know that he observed the Passover, as it says here, and it moves on to verse 2, and it says, And he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. Now, I think these priests definitely needed to be encouraged. We just talked about the confusion that must have been happening over the years between kings wanting them to do the right things for God and then other kings running them off out of the temple and falling into idolatry. These priests that were actually devoted to God must have been very depressed and hurting. But we see here that Josiah went and encouraged them. I'm pretty sure they needed that encouragement too, to continue on in the ways of the Lord. In verse 3 it says, Then he said to the Levites who taught all of Israel, who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on uh, your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God, his people uh, in Israel. So he's telling him to put the ark of the covenant back into the temple where it belongs. Now we know that Manasseh and Ammon were wicked kings. And we probably forgot, well, what about the ark? I have a feeling some of these priests probably took the ark and, and had it riding all over Judah and Israel. They probably went hide it in a place to get it away from Manasseh and from Ammon. Because you know Manasseh went in and set it up idols inside the temple, in the courts, basically turned it into an idolatrous place of worship. It was no longer worship of Yahweh, but it was going to be worship of the idols that were set up. So the ark was moved out, but we see here that Josiah is saying, bring it back where it belongs. You no longer need to carry it. It has a permanent place to rest. So they brought the ark back in. Verse 4, as we continue, it says, prepare yourselves according to your father's house, according to your divisions, following the written instructions of David, king of Israel, and the written instructions of Solomon, his son. So Josiah went out, once again exhorted the priests and the Levites, uh, telling them to get back into their courses, to start uh, back into the 25 courses that were established by David and Solomon. And uh, basically what would happen is they would go back to wherever their communities were, and they would come in and serve for a two-week period in the temple. 
but they would still be ministering in their, in their communities and in the towns and villages in which they lived, but they each had their moment throughout the year where they would have to come in and, and uh, serve at the temple. It kind of looks like what I think of like the National Guard, where they live and work within their communities, but then they come and they train and do the training for their two weeks a year. It's kind of along those lines, but for a higher purpose, serving God. They would come in for those two weeks to serve in the temple, to do their part, and then they would go back into their communities. In verse 5, it says, And stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the Father's house, of your brethren, the lay people, and according to the division of the, the Father's house of the Levites. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourselves, and prepare them for your brethren's, that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Then Josiah gave the lay people lambs of young goats from, his, from the flock, all the Passover offerings for all who were present to the number of 30,000, as well as 3,000 cattle. These were from the king's possession. So after he goes on encouraging the priests, encouraging the Levites, to get themselves back into their courses, back into what they should be doing in serving the Lord. He went out and gave some of his own livestock, setting an example, a precedence on what a leader should do to the people to be able to celebrate this Passover. So he made a sacrifice of himself, giving up these lambs for the betterment of the people. In verse 8 it says, And his leaders gave willingly to the people, to the priests, and to the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jehel, rulers of the house of God, gave to the priests for Passovers, offerings, 2,600 from the flock and 300 cattle. So once we see Josiah, the king, giving, now the rest of the leaders are wanting to give as well. And it's good to do, to go, do the right thing. It's good to do the right thing. Matthew 6, 6 says, and he's talking about praying here, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So yes, when the Father sees us praying in our secret place, he rewards us, but he also sees it whenever we're doing the right thing. And no one sees us, and he rewards us for that. So when we, we go out as parents or we go out with leaders within the community or we go out as leaders in our workplace, we should constantly be doing the right thing because there are people and eyes watching us everywhere. As parents, we have our children that are constantly watching us to do the right things. And I don't know how many times I've had to tell my daughters, I'm sorry, daddy messed up right there, or whatever it may have been. Setting the example that, hey, sometimes you may fall, but hey, repent, ask for forgiveness, and we're going to move on and doing the right thing. So we see Josiah sitting here, giving of himself, giving of his own cattle. We see the leadership taking that key, doing the same thing, and we should do the same as well. Do the right things. That way when people do see us, they, we, we walk in integrity and God will reward us. Verse 9, it goes on, says, Also, Conaniah, his brother, Shemaiah, and Nathaniel, and Heshebadiah, and Jael, and Josabad, chief of the Levites, gave to the Levites for Passover offering 5,000 from the flock 
of five and five hundred cattle. So here we see the, the giving continues on. And in verse 10 it says, So the service was prepared, and the priests stood in their places, and the Levites in their division according to the king's command. And they slaughtered the Passover offering, and the priests uh, sprinkled the blood with their hands, while the Levites skinned the animals. So we see here the priests uh, sprinkled the blood on the altar as they were commanded to do. The Levites uh, skinned the lambs, butchered the lambs, and, and as was their responsibility. And all was done in accordance of the Lord, the, the directions given through Moses. So they were doing what they were supposed to do as priests. Then it goes on, we're talking about the lambs. It says, however, whenever the Passover was sacrificed, in Exodus 12.46 it says, in one house it shall be eaten, you shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall the, uh, you break one of his bones. So that Passover lamb, the bones were not to be broken. You'll butcher it, fillet it, whatever you're going to do with it, but you're not going to break the bones. And we ask ourselves, why? We're going to turn to the cross. Because Jesus never had a bone broke. And it was a it was a signif uh, how you say a sign of what was to come, that the Passover lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb that died on the cross, his bones were not broken. Unlike in crucifixion, a lot of those who were crucified, their legs would be broken to kind of speed the process up. But the Passover lamb had already passed away. They did not need to break his bones. And we see even back in Exodus, they talk about the bones not being broken as a symbol of what Jesus would do and the fulfillment that he would as the, as the Lamb of God or the Passover Lamb that would forgive our sin. In verse 12 it says, Then they removed the burnt offerings that they uh, might give them to the divisions of the Father's house of the lay people to offer uh, to the Lord in cauldrons and in pans, and divided them quickly among all the lay people. Then afterwards, they prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were busy in offering burnt offerings and fat until night. Uh, therefore, the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priests and for the sons of Aaron. So we see the great multitude of people that were being served, and the priests and the Levites end up uh, serving themselves last, making sure everyone else had their fill of the Passover and everyone else was able to, to eat and to enjoy. He moves on to verse 15 and says, And the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place according to the command of David, Asaph, Haman, and Judithum, the king's seer. Also the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not have to leave, they did not have to leave their position because their brethren, the Levites, prepared portions for them. So we had these guys, the gatekeepers, the guards of the temple, who would not leave their position, but their brethren would come and bring them the Passover meal so where they can enjoy it as well. And I remember many times in the military ourselves where we would be stationed um, maybe on a holiday, especially when we were in Iraq, where we couldn't leave certain, certain areas, but we would have someone would come in, let's say on Thanksgiving, and bring us something to eat 
where we were able to enjoy that holiday and to be able to have some good food as well while we were on duty. And that's the same thing these Levites are doing here, bringing their brethren who are on duty the food so they may be able to participate in the Passover as well. Verse 16, it says, So all the service of the Lord, all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings and all the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time in the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like this since the days of Samuel the prophet. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So we see all this work being done in this day for the Passover. And just to think, this Passover takes place after Josiah finds the word of God. I believe, yes, he started cleansing the land. Yes, he started following the Lord at 16. Yes, he built the temple whenever he was about 26. And all that was preparation for this. But when he found the Word of God, it changed everything. And I think when we rediscover the Word of God, it changes everything within us. You know, day, day after day, we, or week after week, we come into the house of God to listen to the word of God. And if you allow it to get inside of you, it will change you from the inside out. When you get into the word of God at your home, it will change you from the inside out. So let the word change you. And we see once he found this book of the law, a lot of things started to change for the better at the moment. But remember that God said that Josiah would not see any of the heartache and turmoil that Judah was going to see he was going to die, but then the judgment was going to come. So with Josiah, it was kind of prolonging that judgment, and we'll see that as we get towards the end of this book. Verse 19, it says, In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. Verse 20, it says, After all of this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish, by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. So after all the good that Josiah did, after all he did rebuilding the temple, trying to bring the nation back to Judah, all these great things that we talk about Josiah doing, this king Necho or Pharaoh Necho comes on to the scene. And all he's wanting to do is pass from Egypt up north to go to this place to battle against the Babylonians. That's all he wants to do. He doesn't want no beef with Josiah or anything like that. In verse 21, it tells us, but he sent a messenger, so this is Necho sending a messenger to him saying, what have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nichols telling them, I don't have a bone to pick with you. This is not your affair. This is not your issue. He's even telling them, God is telling me to hurry up and go up here to do warfare. 
Don't hinder what God is doing. Stay out of this affair. But we're going to see in verse 22, it says, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him, and did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. There's a pass that goes through the valley of Megiddo along the coast, through the valley of Megiddo that goes up north to where Pharaoh Necho was wanting to go. And there's a narrow passageway right there, and, and, and that's where he met him. Josiah met him to battle him. He didn't have to battle him. This Pharaoh's telling him, God is telling me to go through here. I have nothing to do with you. No bone to pick, no battle to fight with you. But Josiah was not hearing that. And you know what? God will send people, unexpected people, to speak into our lives. I know when I, I, I'm still a believer, but when I was a believer, still a believer, a younger believer, I would have people who were not believers, friends of mine, would, uh, I might be doing something that was a little out of character. Hmm, I don't think Christians do that. Put me back in my place real quick because I wasn't being an example, and they knew who I was. They knew who I represented. And King Necho here, or Pharaoh, was not a believer in God, but God was sending him on a mission. And he's telling Josiah, God is sending me on a mission. But Josiah would not listen to him. So the Lord sends us people, unexpected people, to speak to us. Let me give a couple examples of people not recognizing Jesus or the voice of God throughout scriptures. It says, this is when Jesus gave the sermon in his own hometown. The people would scoff at him. They would say, who are you? Aren't you the carpenter's son? They didn't realize he was infinitely much more. They didn't recognize God in him. Little did they know that he was going to be the savior of the world. So they didn't see that God had sent him. Now also, after Jesus had rose from the dead, Jesus appeared to Mary, but she thought he was a gardener. Didn't recognize that that was Jesus at all. Also on the way to Emmaus, his traveling companions mistook him for a stranger. They were not expecting to see Jesus, but God was using this the whole time to get their minds focused on him. He told them the whole story of what he had done and where he had come from and what he was there for. So sometimes he will use that gardener or that stranger to speak into our lives, to bring the word of God to our lives. And we know that King Necho was an instrument used by the Lord. He was. He, was, he, he had a mission that God wanted to get accomplished, send him to that mission, but Josiah would not listen. And we've got to say, how do we know when the Lord is using someone to speak to us? James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. When the word comes our way, James says, if it's causing strife, if it's causing confusion, if it's causing, if it's causing envy, if it's causing tension, it's not from God. Now, but if it is pure and peaceable and gentle and good fruit, you can know that it's from the Lord. 
So husband and wife, if you're arguing about something and it's causing strife, might not be from God. But if you're able to come together and you be able to have a peace about it and, and, and to be able to communicate well with it, probably from God. So Nico told jo, jo, uh, Josiah to go home and be at peace and that he should have had a, jo, Josiah should have listened. Because we're going to see in a minute, it's going to, because he meddled and had himself in other people's affairs, it's going to cost him his life. Let's go continue on in verse uh, 23. It says, And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servant, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of, the, of that chariot and put him in a second chariot, and he had... Uh, that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem, so he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Josiah was a good man. He was a good king, but he seemed to have died unnecessarily, all because he would meddle in the affairs uh, that he should not have. I think some pride well, kind of welled up in him too. He's been having such a good reign in Judah, doing great things for God. He's considering himself a man of God. And whenever someone else comes and says, God is telling us to do something, especially a foreigner or a pagan saying that God is telling us to do something, he says, well, he's thinking to himself, you're not a Jew. I am. God speaks to us. He doesn't speak to you. And I think that pride got him because he did not have to die this way. We don't have to have an opinion on everything. We don't have to be involved in every discussion and meddle in every affair that comes, comes across uh, our lives. And we can learn our lesson from Josiah not to do that. He should have never meddled in that affair. In verse 25, as we start to close out, it says, Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah, and to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed, they are written in the, in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to, the, to what was written in the law of the Lord, and his deeds from first to last, indeed, they are written in the book of kings of Israel and Judah. Now, Josiah was a great leader, but he got entangled in a battle that wasn't his. He should have stayed in his own lane. I pray that we will learn from, the, from and determine to be peacemakers. That's what he calls us to be. Blessed is the peacemakers, and that's what we should be. And here's the secret. If you look inward, you'll be depressed. If you look outward, in our society we're in, you're going to be upset. But if you look upward, you'll be at peace. And that's where we need to look for our answers. That's where we need to look for peace. That's where we need to look for our comfort and our direction is to look upward. Amen? Father, we thank you for this message tonight. We pray that you would help us to stay in our lane, Lord, that we live, live peaceful lives, Lord live lives according to your, your instruction and your direction, Father God, and that we look up to you, Lord, in all that we do. 
and that it will bring you glory, Father. We just ask for your blessing on everyone here today. We ask for your traveling mercies back home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.